0: Would you please remain standing for the sublime reading from uh, John chapter 1, where St. John unfolds the mystery of the Incarnation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to all those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. While you remain standing, let us pray. Father, may this season bring joy to those we love and may this word bring your saving power. There's a depth here in this story, a depth for those who are willing to look deeply And as we look deeply tonight, may you lift our eyes higher than they've ever been. We pray this will be true, not just for the season, but for our lives. Touch our hearts by your Holy Spirit, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please be seated. Welcome, Uh, my name's Justin Moffat. I'm the senior minister of the parish and I join Emma on the staff team, who's doing such a great job with the music and Jenny, who's leading our service. Um, as we minister in this church throughout uh, the weeks and the years. From my family to yours, from the staff team and from the parish council of Churchill, we genuinely wish you a Merry Christmas. You'll notice at the end of your pews, there's a set of Bibles and one of them has a bow on it. I'll tell you why the bow's there, because it's yours as a gift tonight. Take it, please. There's a bow on it. That bow says it's a gift and you can take it. There's a lady in the morning congregation who says to me, you're not giving away enough of them. And here's the test for you. If you've been coming here for years, you'll know the test. If you don't think right now, if you don't think right now that you could locate an easy to read English Bible within three minutes of walking in your front door tonight, then you take a Bible with you because three minutes is too long. And I say, get reading John's gospel. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. The famous song, as you know, written in the 1950s on rotation every Christmas season. I won't sing it because I gather there are children present. I'm sure that social media with its visual component has given this song a boost in recent years. Pics on Instagram and Facebook are usually accompanied by beautiful trees, bright lights, family, gifts unless it's ironically posted then it's probably on tiktok we talk about things looking like christmas or feeling like christmas of course much of it is connected to the northern hemisphere snow and winter sleigh bells not happening every now and then of course it is accompanied by this image in my view correctly but normally it's accompanied by a Christmas kind of beauty. But rarely do you see things that look like or feel like the first Christmas. Disruption, innuendo about marriage, a near divorce, Roman bureaucracy, cramped accommodation, a manger, birth, dirt, death, and the murderous intent of a despot. Many of us know some of these harsh realities, and maybe it's been a rough year. But we don't usually post about these things with words like it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. So tonight, I want all ye faithful to come ye to Bethlehem, and all ye unfaithful, you're welcome here too, I promise. And then each of us together go looking into that crowded room in Bethlehem for the real Christmas and see and see if God will find you there, maybe even tonight. See, if you, ask, if you could ask God what Christmas looks like, or it feels like God the Father sending God the Son into this messy world, he might, respond, he might respond with these words from 2 Corinthians, "'For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, eternally begotten of the Father before all worlds began.'" Yet for your sake, he became poor, so that through his poverty, you, you, might become rich. Now it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. We say, followers of Jesus say, God is in that messy story. And through that story, we get God. The gospel of God is the power for salvation for all who believe. That's what John says in the remarkable prologue to the gospel, when he said, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is at the Father's side has made him known. I wanna open up this remarkable prologue and say four simple things tonight. I wanna say something wondrous, something tragic, then something redemptive, and finally something challenging. Firstly, something wondrous. Let me read to you again these famous and profound words where St. John unfolds the mystery of the Incarnation. He writes, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. This is something wondrous. Harking back, of course, to the creation story in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Harking back to the origin of all things is this Word in the original language the logos in the beginning was the logos and the logos was with god and the logos was god when greek philosophers used this word logos they meant the supernatural order of the cosmos the unknowable principle behind all things the logos writes john was there in the beginning john here identifies that the word was with god in the beginning. Now, who is this word? Because there's a stubborn pronoun in the text, not it, an unknowable principle, but he, whoever he is, he is intimately involved in creation, in everything that is made through him. All things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made, and he brings light and life, not death and destruction. In him was life, And that life was the light of all mankind. This is not Thanos. Light and life to all who brings, he brings, risen with healing in his wings. We just sung it. You see, John won't leave God in the unknowable realms. He identifies this word precisely with Jesus, embodies. He says in verse 14, the word became flesh. There it is. There it is, and he dwelt, his, dwelt among us. Literally in the Greek, he pitched his tent here with us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No longer unknowable, but noble. No longer distant, but imminent. This is good news, and it comes with witnesses. We have seen his glory wrote the first disciples of Jesus. Now, this is the new thing in the ancient world, that the word is God taking on flesh, weak, weak human flesh. It is foolishness in the ancient Greek world, moronic and yet revolutionary. It's weakness in the ancient Jewish world and yet revolutionary, indeed, in the modern Islamic world that God should take on sweaty flesh. It's too weak for the Almighty. But it is wondrous for those who believe he came down to earth from heaven, who is God and Lord of all. And his shelter was a stable, and his cradle was a stall. You see the sun, Hebrews 1, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his being that God has made himself known as wondrous. When you see Jesus, you see God, which is why the claim is made that Jesus is the greatest of all time, the goat. Something wondrous, something tragic, embedded in the story is a tragedy of epic proportions, a tragedy about every human heart and the systems we create that God would show up and that we would reject him. It turns out that humans have a vested interest in running their own lives, of being captain of my soul. This is why Jesus was a threat then and is now. He requires change. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. This is something tragic. Human sin is not doing bad things from time to time where you sort of say sorry to somebody else for it. It is rather the tendency to say, I know and God doesn't. I'm in charge and God isn't. If one of us, God and me, if one of us is a potter and one of us is a piece of clay, then I'm not the potter and God the piece of clay that I could make him in my image. Prophet Jeremiah says, you have things the wrong way around. I might believe in him, some might say, abstractly, after all, why is there something and not nothing? But I don't receive him, which is the language John uses. And this tragedy is chiefly expressed to us in the gospels in the rejection of Jesus Christ. In the week before his death, Jesus wept over Jerusalem and he speaks of God's coming judgment and he says, all of this, because you did not recognize and welcome God's personal visit. And you must not make the mistake of thinking this is about others and not about me. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, a Christian, put in the gulags in uh, Stalin's Soviet system. He wrote a book called The Gulag Archipelago. Archipelago and he writes in the book, I read it today, he writes in the book, if you think this book is about where I point out the sins of others, if you think this is a political expose, he says, and I I quote, he says, slam its covers right now. And I say to you, by the way, if you wanna read your Bible and say, it's all about other people being in the wrong, then slam that gift, it's got a bow on it, take it. But slam it shut, I'm telling you, slam it shut. And then the famous quote, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the dividing line between good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being, through every human heart. No, I'm the sinner, I'm the sinner. To quote Salmon Rusty, the barbarians were not at our gates, but in our skins, in our hearts, and then he writes, listen to this, it's just, it's, it's in a novel, it's, it's, he says, we have chopped away at our own legs, we engineered our own fall, and now we can only weep at the last for we have, what well, we were too enfeebled, too corrupt, too little, too contemptible to defend. So graphic. But surely this is exactly what the prodigal son feels in a far off country, just before he comes to his senses. And he arises to return to his father and finds a loving God if you miss this you may feel good about yourself while you blame others for the world's ills but it can only lead to pride and self-defensiveness and more of the same which is why we need something redemptive yet to all who did receive him to all who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God adopted Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God, touched by him with a new start, born from above, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, said the angel to Mary, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The purpose of Jesus' life was to die and the purpose of Jesus' death was so that I could live. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Which is why finally we need something challenging. The challenge then is to receive him, writes John. That's the thing you do. You receive him him, which is just a way of talking about a new, vital, heartfelt faith in Jesus. And it's not just about morality. It's a personal trust in Jesus, who is the door to God. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king, and let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. But this is not a Christmassy thing. It's an all of life thing. It's a follow Jesus kind of thing. It's a lay down your precious ideas kind of thing. It's a sacrifice your life to gain life kind of things. I promise you, take a Bible. It's got a bow on it to take it. Start in John's gospel. There's a person at eight o'clock who's starting John 1 tonight. Jesus laid down the great irony of his life with these words. He said, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. I always thought this was about letting others eat before you at the dinner table. Remember what your mum said? Maybe it does. But surely it means first. Surely it's first applied to Jesus. Jesus is the first, the greatest of all time. He became the last. What a model. He is... God who took on flesh and lived among us, but he was despised, rejected, a man of sorrows, familiar with pain, as the prophet Isaiah said hundreds of years before the death of Jesus, crucified on a bloody Roman cross, you can't get more last than that, and this was the first. But the last, the one whose flesh was pierced, became the first, raised from the dead as the world's true Messiah, the greatest of all time. Philippians 2, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, the greatest of all time. The ABC posted this headline this week, Lionel Messi has finally won the FIFA World Cup and can claim to be the greatest male footballer of all time. Because there is a goat, the greatest female footballer of all time. I I heard you, Emma, at the 4pm carols. The subtitle, Has Lionel Messi Settled the Goat Debate by Winning the World Cup? But right now, some of you think, well, that's contested, surely. You've got other contenders in mind for the greatest of all time. The goat in sport or in music or in acting or whatever is, is, is claimed to be the goat is almost always a contested matter. And their place as the greatest will always be in doubt. And some of you might say, well, surely this is true for religions too. Tell a person with Islamic faith that Jesus is the greatest of all time, and she will say to you that Jesus is great, can't say a bad word about Jesus, but Muhammad is his prophet. And so you might say, if it's just humans debating, it will always be contested, and then it will become another mere painful power struggle. But what if the claim were made from above and not just preferences? What if God declared that one person was the greatest of all time? This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. What if the person is the greatest, not because of how I feel about him or because I won an argument with someone, but rather because he is the incarnation of God himself. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And so I say, let us believe believe, and not be bored. Let us receive and not dictate to him what you believe. Let us, let every heart prepare him room and let us live in love and wonder and praise. Now it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Let me pray. Father, we say, along with the writer of this carol, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. We make no mistake here tonight. But we also make it personal. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Tonight, we surrender our own wills but not in an exercise of power, but in an exercise of deep surrendering love of the one who loves me with an everlasting grace. We take Jesus Christ, we make him our own, and in doing so we find light and life, which comes to all he brings. We find healing, forgiveness, grace, hope, and mercy, and joy. Tonight we choose him. Amen.